Sonic States. What's called? Hello and welcome everybody to Sonic Talk number 94. Um, this is going to be going live on Thursday the 7th of August, which um, incidentally is Olympics Day, I believe. So we're having a slightly Olympic theme this week, um, but we've got a full transatlantic international gang. Um, and let me start by welcoming Mr. Rich Hilton from Chic and back from his travels all over the place. How are you doing, Rich? Very well, thank you. And yourself? I'm great. Fantastic to meet you. Um, uh, well, well, prior to WOMAD, and thank you very much for getting us in. I very much enjoyed the Chic concert at WOMAD, which I, uh, I noticed got great reviews. Was it as fun for you as it was for me? Oh, we had a great time. And I have to tell you that my stay was made much more special by getting to meet you and your family. Oh, that's very kind. Well, you showing up with some really excellent bath area beers was definitely a, a bonus as well. Well, it was it was great to come out because it's actually not very far at the M4 to where your hotel was. So it was perfect, really, for us. And also, we had a wonderful time uh, at WOMAD. It was really, really good fun. And Chic were brilliant. Um, did you see anybody holding up a um, Sonic Talk placard? <laughs> no, I'm afraid I did not. I did I did encourage our users, but obviously we haven't got quite the demographic for WOMAD. I did try and make myself um make make my way to the front and sort of wave at you. And I and I'm pretty sure you were looking straight at me, but then I realized when you sent me the photo of what it looked like from the stage out to, into a sea of sort of 10,000 people that perhaps I would have um my presence wouldn't have been that obvious. Um it was not as obvious <laughs> to me. I swear you just looked right through me. I was quite hurt. I practiced that in the mirror. Anyway, it was a great gig. How, how did the band feel about it? It felt great. Felt like a, felt like a really uh, excited and enthusiastic audience. We got a lot of energy back from the people in the audience, and the whole thing just kind of felt like a big, fun experience to me. Well, it was great to finally get to see you anyway. So uh, that's Mr. Rich Hilton there from Connecticut, um, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonis. I'll move on to uh, Mr. Mark Tinley, who's uh, also here. I, you've just uh, rushed back. Did you say you were covered in stinging nettle stings? I've been crawling around in stinging nettles, yeah. Um, what, are you looking for anything specific or just um, lost We've something? Taken the children out geocaching today. Ah, that's the thing where, you, where you've got to find the treasure. the treasure thing, you get the GPS and then uh, I see. Yeah. Excellent. Any luck? Yeah, we found three today. Did you? Did you find any wads of cash? No. Toy car. Uh, I, I, we did find an American coin. I think it was a five cent and a toy car and a rather nice key ringy thing. And we put some other things in. So uh, okay. Do you, when you put something in, do you have to move it or do you leave it where it is and they become sort of geo geocaching kind of beacons? Oh, it just becomes the treasure. There's another thing that you move, which is called a travel bug. Oh, yeah, I remember you saying about that. Travel bugs move around from cash to cash, but no, you can just swap stuff. You put stuff in and take stuff out. I'm very glad to hear that you've actually found something with the kids to do, because ever since summer holidays broke up, it seems to have rained continuously. Yeah, it's not been too bad here today. It was oh, a bit muddy. So having said that, on Saturday, I took Brandon motorbike racing. He's been building a bike in the back garden. And it was a little Honda 49cc engined sprinter that we built. Mm. And we went and sat in the car for three hours in torrential rain. 
and then we all sang Mr. Blue Sky, and some, for some bizarre and miraculous reason, the sky started to become blue in the distance, and 45 minutes later, the sun broke out, and then the racing started, and oh, he got to have cool. a, a, a few runs down a drag strip, and he went 42.9 miles an hour, I think. Never underestimate the power of ELO. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, yes, we went camping at the weekend and um, got soaked. And I'm still trying to dry the tent out. Anyway, glad to have you, Mark. And Mark is, of course, can be found at myspace.com forward slash Mark Tinley. And Mr. PJ Tracy uh, from Minneapolis. I'm glad you're with us. How's uh, you, you nearly finished the studio? You've been working hard? Yeah, uh, constant organization. Although this last weekend I took some time off. We had a bit of a premature uh ground-breaking ceremony here at the studio um just a few people over and uh partied on into the night and then saturday uh and sunday i took the day off um which is the first time in a long time so it's been good this week back to um organizing and detailing the studio and then um i think next week we're going to start on the uh finishing touches painting and wall hangings and that oh, type of thing. Sounds wonderful. Yeah. So how do you christen your studio? Do you have to blow, is it blowing your first tweeter or, or something? Or how do you? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope not. Um, well, I had a drive fail uh, yesterday. Ah, so maybe perfect. That's, yeah, exactly. And I thankfully, I just backed it up. That's the time you want it to fail. Yep, exactly. And finally, of course, Mr. Dave Spears from G4Software.com. Com. How are you, Dave? I'm all right, thank you. Jolly good. You're sounding very high fidelity. Everybody's sounding very high fidelity. We must have a good Skype channel today. I guess maybe because um, school's out, it might be um, there's just less noise and hubbub on the network, perhaps. I don't know. Mm, I had a bit of a panic this morning. I had a complete internet meltdown. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, so that was quite entertaining for an hour or so. <laughs> I started thinking that I was going to have to start to call people and talk to them on the phone and go, uh, I can't get any emails. Well, you, could actually, always get, you could always get a Bluetooth keyboard for your mobile phone and text them. Uh, yeah, that'd be nice. Except my mobile phone's so old, it's not Bluetooth. Uh, I'm sure you can get some sort of analogue plug-in for it. <laughs> anyway, gang, thank you very much for joining us. As I said, it's the Olympics. Woohoo! So, uh, yeah, this week, Friday... All sorts of heroic deeds and the like. And presumably a pretty fantastic opening ceremony will be um, happening in Beijing. This is the music there from uh, John Williams, uh, which was for the uh, 96 Atlanta opening theme ceremony thing. It's got a bit of the Copeland about it, hasn't it, I would say? Oh, yeah. Anyone ever been to the Olympics? No. Not I. No. I've been in countries when the Olympics have been on. Oh, how's that? The Olympics. How's travel? I, well, I got stranded on the way back from Nashville, Nam, once in Atlanta. Uh, oh, and that man. was when that was kicking off. And then uh, we were in Greece, bizarrely enough, when, when the opening ceremony kicked off for that one. Really? Yeah, but on an island, not on mainland. I can play you a bit of Greece. There's Bjork there. Doing Oceana in what looked like I was watching a bit YouTube video today and it looked like a fantastic um, opening ceremony with all sorts of wild and wonderful um, dancers and all that kind of thing. Just thought I'd throw that in. I'm going to keep doing this. 
because I've got a load lined up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that you have, because that link that you sent me, all the videos that I tried to watch said this video is no longer available. Really? Maybe but, I'd yeah. watched the last line. Maybe mine was the last thing. But there was a... Because basically there was a... I just thought it was kind of interesting that all of these that there's a song isn't there you get you get you seem to get three main musical contributions you get the kind of opening ceremony music which is the sort of John Williams neoclassical kind of vibe then you get the kind of hey let's all be friends and international community kind of pop song type of olympic tune then in each of the countries you get the kind of um the the, the national news coverage theme song right get this 1984 uh, written by George Moroder 1988 in Soul, written by Maroda. 1992, Freddie Mercury and Montserrat, which was the original one, but he died uh, before he could perform it, and they changed it to some ghastly Lloyd Webber monstrosity. Then Maroda gets the 2008 theme song again. Can you believe that? How does George Maroda get three out of the last however many? What it's is it? A good moustache. Do you think that they might be whiff. it? <laughs> <laughs> they got one whiff of Weber and they'd had enough. Yes. <laughs> Let's get that Maroda cat back. Here you go. Here's a bit of Maroda. Sort of flash dance, Huey Lewis, you know, it's kind of got a, bit of got a bit of everything, yeah. <laughs> but ghastly. And it seems to be, um, the oh. Olympic theme chon seems to be... Um, a bit of a, I don't know if it's a poison chalice because I haven't noticed Maroda doing anything much recently. Do you wonder? Do you think it's like a curse, or do you think he ever needs to work again because he's just Probably done? Not. He's yeah, done he three Olympic right theme songs. Can you imagine? But George M. Maroda there. So obviously he's um, he must have some pretty good. He must go to all the right parties and and uh, see the right people. But I was amazed to see that three of them were done by him. The one of these that interested me the most was from Australia. I should preface this by saying I'm about to talk about somebody I hold in very high regard and know personally. But uh, I just think Tina Arena is a stunningly good singer. And yeah, the song is the song. And in this case, and all of these songs are kind of, I don't know. Cheesy. Yeah, hokey on some level, absolutely. But but um, She's also got a very blue mouth as well, hasn't she, from what I remember? <laughs> as in blue language. Excellent. Ah. I can't, you can't be a cursing singer. Tina's she eloquence. swears a lot, doesn't she? <laughs> Tina's eloquence is undeniable. <laughs> she has got a fine voice, though. But yeah, so Tina Arena, what was that? Um, 2000 Sydney, The Flame, it was. Do you want a quick blast? Yeah. Is this the whole of the world in my hands? I'll take this moment to be all that live tv performance there anyway i'm not familiar with tina arena stuff but you you rich when we met actually you were saying what a great singer she was so she obviously got that for that and she is australian right she is but nobody's ever been to any olympic ones dave you've got about as close as you can get so that sort of rather shoots down my the rest of this topic because well i can tell you a story about the olympics hey pj your savior yeah, back in 1996, during the Atlanta sum- Summer Olympics, I went to visit my brother, who at the time was living in Milwaukee, and he was in college and was an overnight intern for ABC television doing the on-the-hour news reads, where he would read 30 seconds of the current news feed from the Associated Press. When a bomb went off in Atlanta, right, and he, and he had to go on the air 
as a college sophomore and cover the story for 20 minutes until they cut over to the national news feed. <laughs> wow. That's a bit and this terrifying. launched his, his reporting career, and now he's currently an assignment reporter for Katie Keurig, the CBS Nightly News, which is a national news program here in the States. That's amazing. So he just, because he kind of coped with it under pressure they, and they had him on tape, they, they didn't need to interview for the next job. Well, yeah, he had to interview for the next job and had to send out tapes and things like that. But that was the beginning of his of his upward climb. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, cool, yeah. cool for him. I mean, unfortunate circumstances, but a great yeah, opportunity. Most, most definitely unfortunate. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm kind of I'm quite looking forward to the spectacle of the opening ceremony. I usually miss it, but I sort of feel like I want to see it now because I have more of an interest in these kind of massively staged events. I remember. Do you remember the um, when it was at the, the, the World Cup? I guess it was the last one or the one before when they it was in Korea and, you know, that whole thing. And that they had that sort of ludicrous. I mean, it must have a cast of about 100,000 people all sort of dancing in absolute synchronicity it was terrifyingly efficient and a, a, a real spectacle of humanity kind of it really did kind of come across as a an amazing event and i wonder if uh, china are obviously going to pull all the stops out because this is kind of a big kind of international coming out party for them i suppose so so it'd be interesting to see don't you think <laughs> Will it? Indeed. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm Here just trying are. to big out. I'm, I'm trying to make this an Olymp. This is sort of a, a, a vague attempt at the Olympic <laughs> a, Olympic theme to the radio show. Let's forget about it and let's move on to a bit of gossip, eh? Why not? It's, it's so, good for the kids, though, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think my daughter will enjoy seeing a few dancers and doing waving the, when they wave the ribbons around doing the floor show. I'm sure, she'll love all of that. Always interesting to see who gets busted as well so. everybody's <laughs> gonna get busted <laughs> everybody's gonna get busted but that's what they should do they should just make you know drug taking smoking and drinking an olympic sport i think the brits would do brilliant <laughs> well there's that other there's the other there's the other notion which is basically let people do whatever they want and it's up to them how well they can perform so you get these kind of freakish kind of uh, unnatural beings kind of jumping 600 feet in the air because they've had their <laughs> their legs modified with some sort of steroid injection or whatever. Why not? We'll have, to have the runners compete against cheetahs. Yeah. <laughs> that could be the um, something like the Bio-Olympics, couldn't it? What would they call it? It's like bio, biogenetic engineering. Bionic Olympics, I think, would be good. Let's have Bionic Olympics. <laughs> and I'd write the theme song. Okay, yes. it's a deal. I'm sure we could find a sponsor. Anyway, before we got ourselves into too much trouble, perhaps we should move on to our first topic. And this came up because um, my partner Jane, she wor- uh, the person she works with, saw John Mayer at Glastonbury, and she thought he was fantastic. And so Jane just happened to look up stuff about John Mayer, and she found this rider on uh, something called The Smoking Gun, which is a fantastic site full of just kind of trivia and and. and basically kind of i don't know where they get them but they're all these kind of riders for for various bands that you know are just touring and have been touring and what have you and um there's there's the john mayer one's not terribly rock and rock and roll it's got two cases of water and lots of fizzy drinks so and uh, a gallon of tropicana orange juice you know it's all quite wholesome so uh, so this jane sent this back to her boss and said oh he's not very rock and roll look at all this and so i thought well you know we've all done a bit of touring and what have you and riders are always um a source of much amusement uh, or maybe they're not. And I thought, well, what's the most unreasonable rider you've ever heard of? Or even demanded yourself? Rich, seeing as I saw you at uh, WOMAD just recently, please tell me you ask for the Smarties with all the blue ones taken out, or something like that. Well, they failed to deliver the diamonds that I'd requested. But um, 
Uh, a few things about writers. First of all, John Mayer is from around here. Mm-hmm. John Mayer is a Connecticut boy, and people around here are very proud of that. Yeah. Well, he's a... Um, let me think. I, I've, I've known David Lee Roth for a long time, and there's the famous one about Van Halen demanding a five-pound bowl of M&Ms with all the brown ones removed. Uh, that's the and one. It's, it's legendary. And, in fact, it's brilliant, and he details it in his book as well. But um, the story is basically that... In their first tour, they had been booked into venues that couldn't possibly hold their gear and or the demand for tickets because their first album did far better than they had expected. And so those first gigs that had been booked were kind of, uh, well, let's just say that they, they were showing up to conditions that weren't conducive to putting the show on safely. So they buried in the equipment rider this thing about M&M's. So that it, when they walked in, if they didn't see what Dave referred to as a table full of cafeteria ladies, ladies with hairnets, hairnets and plastic gloves on, picking the brown M&Ms out of a big bowl, they knew to go looking for something else that was wrong. Ah, <laughs> uh, I see. So it was kind of like a yardstick to see whether the gig was going to go on. <laughs> exactly. And he was not unaware of its uh, Hollywood potential as far as the legend, you know, as, as far as propagating the legend. Dave is a very, very literate and intelligent for person. And um, it was all, it was, I think it's brilliant in that case. Uh, reading over many of these writers, they're, they're sort of not that. I suppose most people would be surprised by the things people ask for. Um, not that much of it looked that outlandish to me. Uh, no, I was a bit disappointed, actually. It was also a bit pedestrian. You're looking at the wrong ones. Oh, am I? Damn. <laughs> go ahead, Dave. Enlighten <laughs> me. Just go to the Iggy Pop one now. This is a legendary rider, this one. Iggy Pop, eh? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Two heavy-duty straight symbol stands, but we're equal opportunity employers, so gay stands may apply also, but they won't get the job. But <laughs> <laughs> really? I yes, this is legendary. Oh, this is the Stooges. Um, the one thing I did find, there was um, a, a Peter Gabriel's one, which I'm sure is written with quite good humour, actually, and it says, please, please arrange the following in each city. A female, no men, not a sports therapist or an osteopath or a chiropractor, must have a relaxing deep muscle massage in a hippie style, must be able to endure one hour of incensed fueled dressing room. <laughs> that was that was from the growing up tour 2003 so it's obviously done with a kind of a bit of uh, a bit of a laugh and it says remember soothing and relaxing and calming e- equals happy artist wants a massage not a treatment <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a massage at womad rich no i i'm afraid i was uh i wasn't i was denied the massage <laughs> uh, there must have been too big a queue yeah, i was gonna say i vaguely remember mariah carey coming to sphere studios one day when i was there to do a 45 minute link like uh you know a pabx link or whatever it's called what's it called isdn six right. channel isdn she just basically was coming in to do an interview right and the guys had a hell of a job finding all the stuff that she wanted she needed like crystal champagne and this huge bowl of fruit and i, th- I think the rider like came to about a thousand pounds or something i seem to remember <laughs> and they couldn't get half this stuff and they were running around like going bloody miles to go and get some of it there's i noticed in a couple of the sort of larger sort of diva style ones there were oh well, jane was mentioning them as she was reading them out and there were sort of kittens and puppies and things like that which um sounds a bit of a strange thing you know I mean, why she needed all this stuff to be there for 45 minutes as well, I don't know. I mean, 
You know, a cup of tea would be all right, wouldn't it? Well, you'd think so. But, you know, I think there's... A, it's interesting. Around artists that have a certain um, sort of cachet and, and Hollywood style, there seems to be a kind of protective administration that assumes unless certain things are done, there's going to be a class one, you know, hissy fit. And, you know, sometimes this must come from some some experience of having that happen. And, and, and because of the sort of really terrible kind of penalties on not fulfilling contracts and cancelling shows and, and, you know, annoying media and stuff, I think they're kind of, people tend to kind of make these things uh, bulletproof. You know, this, they ask for sort of ridiculous amounts of things and they might get just what they want. When I did Fields of the Nephilim, Carl asked for four tins of black boot polish and four bottles of white spirit. <laughs> right. And when I said to him, what have you asked for them for? He was like, oh, well, I've just gone because, you know, like, I thought I'd, like, give them a bit of a problem, see what they could get or whatever. And I was just like, okay. Do you think that will happen? Do you think that happens a lot? Well, the, but the people just stick ridiculous stuff on. Yeah, of course they do. I mean, I, I, Rich, as you say, you know, the thing is about touring, even though it's a wonderful experience and, you know, you get to play and visit lots of wonderful places, there is an awful lot of hanging about and travelling in. And do you think people um, spend a lot of time just thinking of unique new ways to modify the rider for the next gig just to pass the time? Uh, no, I'm not in my band. No, of course not your band. But, but th- there, are things, there are things in the rider that are interesting to me, like a full box of 9-volt uh, batteries rather than like just one or two of them, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. But, but I guess on some level, after you've done it long enough, you ask for stuff knowing that some of it's not coming. Yeah. Some of the Duran ones have been interesting as well, because at one point, Warren was on that macrobiotic diet that you can only eat uh, fruit that's uh, grown in the area. Right. So he was eating only fruit and vegetables, and they had to be grown in, in that area. And that got really complicated because we went to South America and Uruguay and Paraguay, and, and a lot of the time they just didn't understand the rider and were just giving us these huge, you know, kind of things of calamari and salad and stuff that they just left sitting in the sun in some stinking <laughs> dressing room in a, you know, you know, open dressing room with flies all over this food and stuff. And nobody right. would touch it. I tried it but nobody else would eat it. It's a really beautiful calamari. So what happens when, you play, when you're playing somewhere like Iceland in the winter? I mean, what, what do you grow there? Ice. I don't know. I don't know. Fish. <laughs> Dave, I know you must have a, a tale or two. You're being very quiet, too quiet for my liking. No, well, not really, no. I know uh, of a recovering alcoholic who still insists on the couple of bottles of wine on his rider because it's a kind of, you know, right, I've left those again. That's a kind of, uh, you know, daily statement. Uh, I did know of a quite well-known guitarist who had his own toilet seat tech. <laughs> he had to carry around the toilets. <laughs> they, they are actually uh, no, no, no. Actually, quite a lot of the, the um, larger sort of single artists ask for um, a, a toilet with a new toilet seat fitted. I think that must yeah. be quite common. I mean, I'm, you know, and, and I guess there's no. It, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but I suppose you know, given some of the grotty dumps that um, one can play, it's probably it's probably not a bad idea that they at least they ensure that there's a new toilet seat be fitted every time they go and play there. Some of these, some of these were really good. Dinah Crawl, I thought, was particularly good. She's got a massive wine list. All wines yeah. on the catering riders should be from this list, and in no particular order. And I mean, God, there must be about forty or fifty bottles there. <laughs> That's quite great. Elton John is not required to wear any backstage pass whatsoever, ever. Uh huh. 
he's completely above all of that. I was There's a very, few of those, yeah. I was very yeah. disappointed with some Crosby Hills Pills and Hash or whatever they're called. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that all looked a bit lame. <laughs> uh, and Sting wasn't particularly demanding, which is quite disappointing, really. Oh, no. <laughs> there was something with kind of like one and a half gallons of coffee, which I thought... <laughs> You know, per per dressing room, which I thought was kind of a pretty serious, uh, pr- pretty serious number. Maybe it was Prince. I'm not sure. No, it wasn't Prince. Prince is actually um, is incredibly um, soft drink heavy. Back in the day when she was just a rapper, Queen Latifah, now an established Hollywood star, apparently had some fun on the road. Her tour contract required promoters to stock her dressing room at soundcheck with one dozen lifestyle or rough rider condoms. <laughs> Well, maybe she maybe she liked to throw water bombs at the audience. Uh, possibly. And 50 pence as well. That was brilliant. Breakfast for 45 people, not including local crew or promoters or staff. Bloody hell. <laughs> wow. Just so I they can... I was looking at Lisa Marie Presley, and she's got, like, different requirements for different days. So, yeah, here we go. Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, tray of sushi rolls, blah, 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 blah. But Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, an antipasti platter. Well, I suppose you want to you want to mix it up a bit, don't you? That sounds like Beck. His after the after the gig requirements are Mexican Thai and or Italian food delivered to the bus at the manager's discretion. Wow, on hold. So there's five restaurants around the place just waiting for the call. Actually, that's quite <laughs> yeah. funny. There's a there's a local um, curry house in Bath that sort of made a bit of a name for itself because it's it, it's supposed to be you know it is quite good. And um, there were various kind of bands. There was a trend of this, wasn't there? People ordering takeaways from kind of completely different countries than they're currently in, and having them jetted over and delivered by a team of kind of um, betoweled waiters. I think it was right. you know some boy bands or whatever, and maybe it was a, a UK thing. Amy Winehouse was good, wasn't it? I didn't look at that one. I just thought, nah, I don't want to know. One case of lager, Corona or similar, no Stella, no Carling, and also 40 Marlboro Lights and four lighters. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Bless. I like Frank 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 Sinatra's mobile liquor cabinet that he asks for. He's got, uh, what is it here? Uh, Absolute or Stoli, Jack Daniels, Shiva's Real... Cavassier, Beef Eater Gin, White Wine Premium, Red Wine Premium, Spring Water Perrier, Diet Coke. The amazing list of liquors. I must admit, whenever I went to a gig and there was any rider at all, I mean, we ended up, because you, if, you're, if you're touring on a bus, you end up with a sort of this accumulation of beer that just, you, you, you finally have to kind of start giving it away because if you can't drink it fast enough, you've just got cases of the stuff and it's obviously really heavy to ship around. I don't think we ever had that problem. Did you not? <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't have a horn section, did People you? People were complaining that I was drinking it too fast. Oh, well. Anyway, riders. Kenny G, that was a bit disappointing, because I've, I've heard completely, uh, well, from somebody, from a promoter's assistant, of a couple of things that he has on his rider, but the only um, allusion to that on this was um, a box of Kleenex. <laughs> mm, yeah, well, Prince has one of those. Two, in fact. And a jar of salsa. Oh, and a bag of and a bag of tortilla chips, but you know, so and, and, the, and the tables at every entrance at which fans can leave gifts and flowers. Oh, that's kind of nice. <laughs> Sonic Talk, sponsored by Yamaha Music Production, producers of the world's most popular digital mixing consoles. 
accurate professional studio monitoring systems. Incredibly realistic and portable digital stage pianos. The versatile motif range of music production synthesizers. And the latest N-Series digital mixing studios. Featuring the cleanest signal pump and full Cubase AI4 integration. www.yamahasynth.com Sonic Talk. The B- Remember the B-52's remix competition? Yeah. 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 And basically, mm-hmm. this is the winner. This is uh, Dave Glenn. I'll just give him a quick props, cause, uh, and thanks to Dan Austin to bring, for bringing that up in this comment. And so on and so forth. It's actually quite good in a sort of minimalist um, house um, sort of style. But there you go. That was the winner. Congratulations, Dave Glynn, who actually also makes um, VST plugins. He made Super Riff guitar and bass VST plugins, which you can find at superriff.com. And if you check his profile over at uh, Acid Planet, you can see that he does quite well in these remix competitions. So Giga Studio's gone. What's going on there? Didn't everybody use Giga Studio? PJ, you, you're, you're a composer. Was Giga Studio ever part of your life? Uh, no. I own a lot of the libraries that were made in that format, but I never used Giga Studio. Oh, okay. I thought so I was on the Mac. Um, uh, at that point, until, right. Until fairly recently. And so on the Macintosh, I used, for a while, I used Bitheads Unity DS1 as a software sampler, but mostly I just loaded up my, uh, my old Emus. <laughs> My oh. racks and racks of emu samplers. Okay, well, anyway, Tascam have discontinued support and development of Giga Studio, the product, which, I mean, for years and years has been like the stalwart for certainly a lot of sort of film and television composers who, can, who used to be able to use it to sort of call up an orchestra in one go on a dedicated PC. And it was kind of... Uh, up until quite recently, but I, I was talking to people who were thinking of getting it. Um, but now... Um, Sales and support continue till December, and then that's it. It's history, unless somebody buys it, presumably. But, I mean, wasn't it... It's a bit of a shock. I mean, I still know people who use it. Dave, have you kind of... You must have come across it. Yeah, yeah. I think... Wasn't Giga Studio one of the first um, disc streaming samplers, wasn't it? I believe yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. was the first, I believe. And it, was, and it was sensible, because it said, look, don't try and run this on your main door. Just get a pc stick a sound card in it and buy the stuff and then it's dedicated and then you don't have to worry about performance then we can guarantee you you know x voices x whatever and you can check your whole library on it and it, it sort of makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways but it did i suppose at the time seem kind of quite extravagant but i guess if sound is your business you know and your orchestration then you didn't have any other choices it started off as giga piano didn't it is that right originally oh. yeah and it was a streaming it was a, a one gigabyte recording of a piano, and it was streamed from hard drive, if I remember rightly, in about uh-huh. 1994 or five, And then it sort of developed from that. But I know loads of people that have invested thousands and thousands of pounds into this thing. So it's, it's quite a shock, really, that they should just go, oh, we're going to stop. Well, it's all the key switching and the articulations and stuff. I don't know. Rich, have you come across it? Yeah, I had actually bought and I did major studio modifications to accommodate a PC. After meeting Mark and a number of other people I saw using them side by side with their Macintoshes, um, and I loaded it up first thing with Giga Studio and bought some library stuff. I think it's uh, instructive to note that Tascam didn't develop this product, they bought it. No, that's right, yeah. 
I didn't. And and so it came a point, I'm sure, for them where they were either going to have to invest very heavily in the guys who did develop it in order to move it forward, or, or in other words, it was undoubtedly a cost-benefit kind of uh, corporate decision to drop this thing. But the fact is they didn't develop it in the first place. So no, it's not but- that surprising. Somebody already did sell it once. I guess not. I, I guess not. But Giga Studio Four has been qu- was quite recent, wasn't it? And it runs as a plugin. And also, didn't it mean that there was a Giga Studio um, type plugin for Mac as well? They were moving, yes. migrating to sort of plugin format. They were supposedly doing that, but and I quite I, there were things I liked about it, and one of the things I liked best about it was the Gigapulse convolution area, which oh yeah, was that was good. Heavily underused, as far as I knew, because I didn't know anybody else who cared about it. But uh, I thought it was really cleverly done. And uh, I enjoyed using it, but it made my PC incredibly unstable, apparently because of some deep system-level tweaking they do to get it to run around Windows, basically, with regards to its relationship to the processor. Oh, I see. But, I mean, were you using it for other things as well? Your PC? I was using it as, a, as an offline you know, sampler mm-hmm. uh, connected via Toslink to my interface my 192 interface on the mac which would allow me to stream things digitally straight into pro tools and record them i mean i'm guessing that the reason this went down was pretty much exclusively down to the native instruments contact engine and the way that they sold that whole deal to people who develop sounds now it's it's not always a one-for-one translation but contact will open up giga studio files so I think that uh, a lot of the major samplers out there, I believe Mach 5, the Motu product, does as well. Mm-hmm. And um, so does um, <clears throat> I thought the XS24 opens some giga stuff, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. A lot of them import uh, a lot of other formats. And then there's this guy, Garth, with Chicken Systems, who's got his translator program that's supposed yeah, to work with all of this program. stuff. And uh, so there's a lot I, of uh, stuff to support this. I'm on the beta list for Garth's thing, and that's coming along quite nicely that's what i'm probably allowed to say mm-hmm. excellent so there's a new a new thing came out today i just downloaded it i just got an email from him oh how apt yes as, as- so if you're giga studio users out there you might just want to invest in the chicken sys translator and then you can move all your stuff over but yeah that's a pretty harsh kind of final curtain really because i mean those systems those libraries were expensive they were some of the first original kind of very costly libraries were they not for giga giga yeah, so no, Rich, I, you bought them, did you? Uh, not all of them. I, I didn't invest that heavily in the thing, but um, I've heard some of them. They're 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 okay. It's like it's funny because these libraries gain these legendary. Like I used to run Synclavier for years, and I had all their libraries, and they were pretty good. And a lot of them were really good. But the the when I'd hear Synclavier library stuff and other equipment, it never sounded like the Synclavier anyway. I, I think I've made the case before that I think there's a certain romance that gets attached to the sounds you used last time. Yeah, well, that's there, true. Yeah, that wasn't there before you used them anyway. <laughs> yes, quite. Well, anyway, goodbye, Giga Studio. I mean, unless somebody's going to keep it going. I mean, you you would think that there's enough composers out there who perhaps are making or have made enough money from the composition process that might kind of keep a coder on to sort of fix some of the bugs that they want and maybe keep the property alive. I I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But, I I mean, I would be surprised if it just goes completely bye-bye. Well, what about – there's a precedent for that, you know, opcode vision back in the late 90s just – you know, being shelved by Gibson. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were a lot of composers that used that program and uh, were orphaned. 
I suppose, but they, they, they may have been. Yes, I suppose they may have been for other reasons. I don't know if Tascam have the same approach to to you know. To, oh, I, I don't know. Tascam jungle staying then. What happens to the library? Does that become public domain? Because if they if they say we're not supporting it anymore, it is no more. And then I go and download all the Giga Studio library from, say, LimeWire or BitTorrent or something and put it all in my contact. I shouldn't engine. think so, Mark. Um, it's, it's free, is it, now? No, I, I wouldn't have thought so because I don't think that the Giga Studio well, libraries are made by Tascam. They're, they're going to be third-party developers, a lot of them, aren't they? And they're going to still want to you know, get their get their royalties quite quite rightly i don't know about the libraries but i reckon that they probably hired the old nemesis guys who developed giga sampler in the first place to to support this purchase of their software and that there probably came a point where it became financially undesirable from Tascam's view to continue that relationship mm. anyway there goes another one sonicstate.com there's this synthesizer that we really don't know anything about called the, orion the omega orion yeah, highly informative web page. Yes, it was. Yeah, there's like nothing on this thing. <laughs> this came, this yeah, that's right. Well, this came up um, on uh, Peter Kern's Create Digital Music. Uh, his, it was titled "Hello, it's the future calling. We have your synthesizer. It's the Omega Orion, and it's the Omega Orion is this kind of well, basically, it looks it's an eight voice modular synth with in a kind of really funky kind of um, white plastic retro. Cordovox kind of casing and everybody seems to be going wow it's fantastic and i think it's made by studio electronics right uh, and they say it is art it is light it is glorious design brought to you by antoine argentieres the man who sagely let his fondness for stanley kubrick's past century enigmatic audition vision of the future and revisioning of pivotal past events inspire a house fit for the majestic voice and verve of the amiga 8 a cathedral of transformation the great work of the synth a mind before matter, mystical alignment of awareness, light and sound waves that reveal the Orion galaxy expanding and growing luminously, which is uh, <laughs> kind of all very nice. Um, but um, it's four thousand seven hundred bucks, and it weighs twenty pounds. Um, it's quite expensive, I would say, even for um, well by any stretch, because I mean most sort of boutique synths are kind of no more than three thousand dollars. It's, Thank you. It's was, always expensive, though, isn't it? Well, Studio Electronics. I think it's all analog, though, isn't it? I mean, it is. Yeah. It is. There's no DSP. It's always, it's always pretty cool. Didn't they make a Moog thing in a rack? They did, actually, yeah. Did, which sounded yeah. incredible. Yes, they did. And it was, was it programmable? I one remember, of them was. I remember one turning was. knobs around on what? it. It was an SE1, SE wasn't it? Was having it? tons and tons and tons of bass. Yes, that sounds about right. Dave, you're a synth, synth nut. What do you think of this? <laughs> Looks nice, doesn't it? It does look nice, yeah. But as somebody very said, um, it's a funny shape. You can't kind of put your beer on top of it very easily. No. It does look a bit 2001, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I like that. It kind of looks very funky. And it's got that fantastic sort of old-school Pan Am logo, which I really liked, actually. Mm. Yeah, I saw one of the... Is it an Omega 8 for sale on... Um, I think it might have been in the SOS ads recently, but, I mean, it was an astronomical sum of money. Rich, have you ever come across any of their stuff? Uh, yes. They uh, did the uh, rack mount mod for our Minimoog, uh, which I use regularly. I've operated almost all of their gear at one time or another, and uh, some of it's really good. So what, they took your Minimoog and sort of physically crammed it into a 19-inch rack kind of Yes, they were doing this. This was one of their first businesses, I think, maybe even before they had a product 
to sell was taking mini mugs and putting them into uh, these racks and uh, routing various MIDI. It was called a MIDI Moog, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I've it got was one before in my rack. the SE One. Right, right, and the SE One was their first shot at it, and yes, I think it was programmable. Come to think of it. So yeah, Nick. Uh, oh no, Nick had an ATC one actually. Thinking about uh-huh. it. Right, well, that was another product of theirs, right? Yeah. Did they that have the interchange? You could plug right. in the back. Yeah. Right, different filter cards you could use. You yeah. get 303 OB1s and what have you, which is a. I think uh, the thing I liked about them at NAM and all the shows was that they'd have these kind of huge black guys on there doing these fantastic killer bass lines with kind of one finger, and everything was just so kind of corpulent and fat. Loved it. Right, it wasn't. They weren't doing kind of widdly guitar style solos, which is always no, no, no. refreshing. It's just it big, had a really fat, funky vibe to their booth, you know. Big fat bass lines. I first came across that MIDI Moog thing in Nelly Hooper's studio, and hmm. I, I was playing around with it, and I was like, "Wow, I've got to have one of these." I mean, it just sounded phenomenal, and it's so clean as well. It's like a Moog with no hiss. What were you doing in Nelly Hooper's studio? If you don't mind me asking, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a, a legend, dance music legend. I don't know, one of those Duran things, I can't actually remember. Oh, no, maybe I was doing an Adamski thing, actually. Somebody had left all the discs lying around for the S900. Ah, That's did they find the themselves duplicating themselves spontaneously? They duplicating themselves and ending up in the, in, in the FZ1, yeah. <laughs> and then what was that chap called, that programmer he had? Japanese guy with the glasses, or Chinese guy. Not Go Shiki. It, wait, in the Six Degrees of Separation uh, vibe we're in here, I met Nelly Hooper <laughs> at a, a, who turned up at a chic gig, a private party in Saint-Tropez a few years ago. And uh, I'd never met him, and quite honestly, I'd never heard of him. But he was a very nice man, and we had a good time together. Yeah, he's responsible for some of the most seminal kind of records of the late 80s and 90s in terms of dance music. I mean, Soul to Soul, Bjork, um, gosh, just to name a few, the, the Sinead, Sinead O'Connor stuff. I mean, really kind of big, big, big stuff. I mean, really, you know, arch use of samplers and, and good old 12 and 8-bit technology, as far as I can gather. Sneaker Pimps he did as well. Oh, which one? Becoming X? Uh, what was that? Six Underground or whatever it was. Yeah, Underground. Yeah. That is a classic record. That's it his. really is absolutely genius. I saw them, play, I saw them play that live at Moles, and it, I, I, blew, to- I didn't know who they were. I wasn't expecting it. It totally blew me away, and I went out and bought it the next day, and it was my mm. favourite record for a couple of years after that. Absolutely yeah, brilliant. Yeah. I didn't realise he had anything to do with it. I should check the sleeve notes. PJ. Yes. Can I see you um, lusting after one of these Omega Orions to stick in your brand new studio? Uh, might be interesting. I like the ATC one. Was a great, great synthesizer. Is a great synthesizer. Um, got my hands on one of those a few years ago and laid down some really thick bass lines on a couple recordings. And uh, yeah, would be great if I had a spare five thousand dollars lying around. It does seem rather uh, excessive, but I suppose. Why not? So anyway, but I expect we'll be seeing that at NAM, and I look forward to it. I shall be heading over as fast as possible to get some uh, Omega Orion action come January. Who wants what? I thought, well, Rich already made the jump into six degrees of course, separation. Six degrees of, the six but degrees, we missed it. <laughs> we missed it. That was the link. Sorry, Rich, I missed your link. I'll do the link now, eh? And then, um, I don't know, maybe some technical wizardry I can make myself sound slick, although I think I'm beyond even that. Six degrees of separation is the next topic. That was the um, the, the news. I saw that on news on CNET. Um, basically, what they've done is that some guy at Microsoft has been sort of studying 
30 billion conversations amongst 240 million people using Microsoft Instant Messenger in one month, in the month of June in 2006. And it turns out that the average length or path or degree of separation amongst the anonymized users probed was 6.6, which means you can get from one person to another via some, you know, like via some connection, Um, which isn't isn't there a rule about six degrees of separation? Or there's there's some kind of party game, isn't there, about six degrees from Kevin Bacon? So you connect any actor with another, with Kevin Bacon via uh, several films or whatever. And uh, but that's been proven. But can you imagine having? How do you study thirty billion conversations with two hundred and forty million people? I, I, it's kind of scary, isn't it? I, I mean, aside from the privacy and the fact that they have tools that enable them to monitor this stuff and glean any meaningful information about those degrees of separation, it's pretty terrifying, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. Maybe they've got a problem with the server where they can't keep up with the amount of traffic and they just figure if they tell people this, people will, will knock off using MSN Messenger because they, they'll think <laughs> that they're being um, spied upon. You think that might be it? You think it's actually a, a, a ruse? In in the where mid nine mid mid to late late nineties, we had a kind of a bit of a renaissance. Did a few remixes, and uh, at the time, the Vatican were trying to put together. There was a, there was some groovy cardinal of one of the sort of cardinals below the Pope, who was putting together a um, a record of kind of um, plain song and kind of religious music, you know, put to a contemporary beat, of which we happened to be kind of the flavour of doing at that time. And um, we got the demo. We had to make a demo for him, and it got sent to the cardinal, who then, obviously, presumably, he was a and ring for the Pope, who is literally one down from God. So I, I, two down from God has heard my demo. <laughs> That's less than six degrees of separation. It's yeah. <laughs> just divine separation. That's a great. That's a great name for a band for an act. Two down from God. <laughs> Fantastic. Three steps to heaven. I've got it. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> if you believe in that sort of thing, then then presumably you, you just there's just one degree of separation from you and the you and your maker. But yes, yeah, six degrees of separation. Anyway, anyone got any any other um, close ones? <laughs> it's interesting that this has been this information has been available for three to four months and nobody. I, I, this is the first I'm hearing of it. <laughs> I reckon this this research was conducted on a tour bus because this is so music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was in a band with him. Oh, yeah, yeah, my mate was in that band. Yeah, yeah, do you remember so-and-so? It's definitely got to be the case, isn't it? Well, it was Eric Horowitz of Microsoft Research and Jur Leskovich of Carnegie Mellon University who analysed the 30 billion conversations. What do you think they did? They go, hey, I've got another one. I've got another one. Okay, put a tick on that bot. You know, I mean, I just can't, I can't imagine how you would work with that sort of data. I mean, it's just bonkers. They did it based on June 2006 and released it a year later. So you wonder yeah, it if... It took them a while. I think they've made it up. I mean, if you look at this, there's something very weird about this. They did it in June 2006, right? Mm-hmm. That's six months of the sixth year of this century. So there's two sixes there, right? So and then they've okay. said that it's six point six, the degree of separation. So mm-hmm. I reckon they've just made the whole thing up. They probably said, "Let's do this," and we'll say we did it on the sixth of June two thousand and six because that's the devil's number six six six. And then they've said, "Let's say it was six point six six," and someone's gone, "No, you've got to tame that down a bit. It's too over the top, and it's all made up. It's not real." They're just having a laugh. <laughs> they made it all up. <laughs> 
Right. It My is just before April, you know. Could have been an April Fool's thing. Oh, gosh. What was the date that was published? Um, I've got this horrible feeling that this is going to be an April story, and then I'm going to look like a right chump. It's March the 15th. So it could be an April Fool's story. It's a bit early, early for an April Fool. I don't know about that. Oh, well, we're mm. just finding it in August, for crying out loud. Yeah. <laughs> they need to work on their indexing system in CNET. I just want to know how two guys analyze 30 billion conversations. Yeah. That, that, uh, that's striking. I'd love to read the methodology uh, on that. And presumably they were in multiple languages. Get out more. Yes. <laughs> no chance of that, analyzing 30 billion messages, that's for sure. In the sort of... Well, I, my attempt at making it the Olympic-themed um, Sonic Talk number 94, I'm going to use the uh, the music from um, this, the song from this coming Beijing Olympics to play us out by Georgie Moroda. So I'd just like to say um, thank you very much to my guests for joining me, um, Mr. Dave Spears from G4Software.com. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Mr. PJ Tracy from Minneapolis, thank you for getting up early and, uh, and getting on the line. Thank you, Nick. It was a pleasure. Mark Tinley from Hartford, thank you very much for joining us too. And I hope you're, you want to put some dock leaves on those stinging stinging I know. Uh, you should say thank you for crawling out of, out of a ditch and joining us. Well, uh, indeed. <laughs> muddy ditch, thank you very much. You're welcome. Was, yes. A pleasure as always. And Mr. Rich Hilton uh, from Connecticut, um, back from your travels for a bit. Um, I hope you have a wonderful working day. Um, remember... Those two links, myspace.com forward slash Mark Tinley and Mr. Rich Hilton of myspace.com forward slash Antonius. Thank you very much, Rich. Thank you. Oh, for joy to see.